given the topic of submission, I was anxious for the period of silence to last a little longer today. And uh, I'm just aware that the first two rows are empty today, and I'm not making any sort of comment about that, but just wondering. There's some nervousness. There's certainly some on the part of the pastor. In 1989, Nancy and I spent a weekend in Wilmington interviewing for the Young Life staff position of area director. At the end of the weekend, it was seemed inevitable that we would take the position. Moving from Columbia, South Carolina, that we spent two years there in a place that she really liked and had a job and had friends, uh, moving to Wilmington. And we stopped on our way out of town that Sunday at um, the old Quincy's on College Road, if you remember where that is. And so we sat in this booth, and before we went up to get our food, we just sort of sat there together, and she looked out of this big glass window, and these big tears just started rolling down her cheeks. And she sort of just began to quietly ask these questions. I don't know if they were directed to me or to herself or to the Lord. Why do we have to move here? Why do you get to choose? I like my job and I'm happy in Columbia. I make more than you do. If you've been married for any length of time, you've encountered this situation. A decision has to be made. Someone has to lead. Somebody has to follow. And you have to follow even if the decision doesn't seem to make much sense. And the role of following in a marriage falls to the wife. Now, I realize in saying this, especially if you're a visitor, you are thinking, I thought I saw a dinosaur parked in the parking lot, and now I know whose it is. It's this guy's right here. When I gave this sermon a couple of years ago, a friend jokingly suggested that I'd need a security team in order to leave the building. When I got here this morning, a man who I'll not name said, I've been waiting all week for this sermon. I'll talk to him, his wife later about that. I think when we talk about this word submission, my sense is the reason there's tension about it is not not tension necessarily specifically having to do with the role of the husband and the wife. But I think there's tension in talking about submission because nobody wants to submit. And so no matter what situation you get into and you talk about the word submission, whether that has to be in your home or whether it has to be in school or that has to be in your workplace or if that has to do with the United States government, nobody likes the word submission. And so whenever it's talked about, there's a tension. There's a man named John Guest, who some of you all know, he arrived from England in the 60s. He's a, he was an evangelist. He's now a pastor in Pittsburgh. He took a peculiar interest as an Englishman in artifacts from the Revolutionary War. 
And he came into an antique store and he was noticing all the sort of common signs or or placards that you might remember from the revolutionary time. Don't tread on me. No taxation without representation. And he came to one placard that really caught his attention. Here's what it said. We serve no sovereign here. And he thought to himself, how do I come to a people proclaiming the kingdom of God when they have a built in allergy to sovereignty? When when you're moving into a culture and you're going to proclaim the sovereignty of God, the greatness of God, the, the kingdom of God, how do you communicate that to a culture who has a built in allergy to the whole concept of sovereignty? And we know from looking back in Genesis chapter three that the the built in sovereignty issue is just not an issue in our culture. It's an issue in all of mankind. We desire to be sovereign over ourselves. We want to make the decisions. We want to have the last word. And so when we hear the word submission, we don't get goosebumps of excitement. We get something more like a rash. Our temperatures begin to rise when we even think about the word sub living underneath the mission of anyone else. Well, this concept of submission is critical for every disciple, not just for wives. And I just want to review. You can look back probably on the same page in Ephesians five, verse one. Therefore, be imitators of God. So the goal of every disciple is to imitate God. Ephesians two, walk in love. So every disciple is to imitate God by walking in love and the testing ground or or the crucible. For that is going to be found in relationships. Are you loving God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind? All your strength, the way that's going to be visualized is how you're loving your neighbor as yourself. And if your wife or husband is considered to be your closest neighbor, then that's the place that it's going to be on its greatest display. How you're loving the Lord is going to be most easily seen or displayed in how you're loving your spouse. And the blueprint, again, in Ephesians 5, 2, is as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So that's the blueprint for every disciple to give yourself up for others. We see that in Philippians 2. Every disciple's attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, Jesus came and he was grasping for something else. And it was not equality with God. He was grasping to be a servant. So the question that we start with this morning for everyone here. And, and maybe you need to put your hand on your forehead and is to ask yourself, how's your allergy? You, you have you have an allergy. How is it? 
Are, are you willing to live under the mission of God Almighty? Or are you trying to be your own God? Ephesians go, goes on to say, very, I'm sorry, Philippians goes on very clearly to say that one day, no matter how strong you are, no matter how fortunate you've been, no matter how young you are, no matter how smart you are, one day every knee will bow to the person of Jesus Christ. Everyone. And so we have to begin right now and ask ourselves, where are we in our bowing to Christ? So there's a universal application to submission. We can see that. We've talked about it. But, but we can't get away from the specific application in Ephesians that there's supposed to be submission of wives to their husbands. I want to make a couple of preliminary observations before we take a look at three different parts of submission. First, when we read through Ephesians 5.22, uh, this is a whole passage here. There's 50 words that are dedicated to the role of a wife. Following that, which we talked about last week, there are 150 words that talk about the role of the husband. So husbands, you have the ownership of your relationship. The burden is squarely on your shoulders. You are commanded to love your wife as Christ loved the church. You know, I um, see on television most of the time in comedies the the husband wife, if there's a couple in the comedy. Quite frequently, the husband is sort of this spineless, weak, kind of bumbling fool. And you would start thinking, well, maybe most people are attracted to that kind of personality. I could not tell you, men, how many times I've had conversations with women who will say, I just wish my husband would lead. The second observation I want to make, and I want to call the attention of people here that are single or in college, your middle school or high school student, I want you to pay attention. I want you to especially pay attention if you're currently in the eighth grade and you share my last name. Second Corinthians 614, the Bible just couldn't be any more clear. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. This includes dating. You see, one of the, the big frustrations is wives come in and they say, I'm frustrated about having to submit to this guy. And the reason that's frustrating is because they married somebody that they were unequally yoked to. 
And see, it's not that difficult to follow somebody who's saying, I'm giving up my whole life for you. I'm primarily interested in all of your external needs and all of your internal needs. And I'll do whatever it takes to bring you all the way to Christ. Nobody's really having a struggle submitting to that kind of person. But see, when you marry somebody and they have no intention, even though maybe from their dating relationship, you have this sort of courtship conversion. But the person has demonstrated no desire to really love you like Christ loved the church. And so if you're single, if you're in college or high school or middle school, listen, marry the right person. This is not nearly as difficult if you've married the right person. I want to examine three parts of this idea of submission. First, the command to submit. We'll see this in verse 22. The reason for submission, verse 23. And then the picture that submission presents. The command, the reason, and then the picture. The word in the Greek text for submission is hupotasso, hupotasso, and it's a military term, and it literally means under orders. And so Paul is picking out this term that would be familiar to the people at Ephesus, this military term describing men who have been given an order and now they are under the order they're supposed to get in line with. The commander. We all understand this because in the military, a unit, a group of men make up a unit. And in order for them to accomplish their mission, they have to work as one unit. You can't just go out there and have a 100 men doing whatever they want. They all have to come together and like one perfect unit be behind their leader and move in one very specific direction. Now, probably one of the best illustrations that I had of this was a couple of years ago. We went on a family vacation and we went up to go down the Nantahala River up in the mountains of North Carolina. And if you have any sort of paddling experience, you don't really need a guide. And so I was going to sit in the back and guide us through basically very small rapids. And so I'm in the back guiding Zachary's in the back with me. And Nancy and Morgan are in the front. Well, in the first, I don't know, a mile of this river less, I just noticed I have a hard time keeping on course. I mean, I feel like I'm guiding us in the right direction, but it always seems like then we start swinging in a different direction. And what I began to notice is that we had two guides on the trip, one in the back and one in the front. And so the person in the back who was guiding us into a certain spot was being outguided by the person in the front. And then we're not on course and we find ourselves in places that we don't want to be. And so on this nice little wonderful family vacation, we had to have a little powwow right there in the boat with a paddle in my hand. And so we get off to the side where there's this little eddy and... I tell my wife with a very kind voice, I'm certain, certain, stop, stop, stop it. I was searching for words. Stop what? Stop guiding us. I'm guiding us. 
And then with her joyful response to that joyful response, what do you want me to do? And then I said, you can paddle. I don't want you to guide anymore. You see, in a relationship, you can't have two steers. Somebody's got to be steering and somebody's got to be paddling. And my guess is some of your relational frustration is that you have two people who are steering. You might have two people who are paddling and nobody's steering. But if we want to, if we want to chart a course as a couple, one person has to learn how to steer at a time. Now look, wives, there'll be many times, many times that you'll be asked to steer. It's not as if your role is always to paddle, but your role is to line up underneath so that we only have one person steering at a time. And it may be better for you to steer at some points, but it's never going to be good for both of you to steer at the same time. So this military term, this idea is you want to work together as one unit. You can't work separately. And somebody has to lead and somebody has to follow. I want to notice just to say here that the command here is limited. It's limited in this way. Paul is specifically talking about the relationship between wives and husbands. He's not talking about other relationships here. He's certainly not saying this, and I should be absolutely clear about this. Women submit to men. That's not in the Bible. He's trying to say, when you have this relationship and the two have become one, God has ordained a way for that relationship to move forward, to stay on the right track. And that's for the man to lead and the woman to follow. Second is for the women, it's limited in this way. It's limited to what God has said. If your husband would lead you in a way that would be ungodly, then you should not follow in that direction. That probably goes without saying. The other thing I want us to notice here is that the command, just like the command for husbands to love their wives, the the command for wives to submit to your husbands isn't conditional. It doesn't say this, wives, when your husbands love you like Christ loves the church. When he loves you like he loves himself, then you submit. I mean, it certainly would be easier to submit to somebody who's doing that, but it's not conditioned on that. Husbands, you're supposed to love your wives. You're supposed to give yourselves. That doesn't mean just giving your life. That means giving away all of your selfishness, all of your self-interest. And give it over for your wives, period. There's no condition on that. Wives, you're supposed to submit. And as long as it's doing something that God would be honored by and it wouldn't be against what he'd say, then there's no condition on that. Final thing I want to notice just here in this verse is that the command never need to be a demand. Husbands shouldn't need to demand submission. 
I say this because, again, I want to go back to our model in Ephesians 2. This is the model for everyone, not just for wives. But remember in Ephesians 2, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. He humbled himself. And so it's it's something that he has grasped on. It's something that he is making himself to. It's something that he is volunteering for. It's not a demand of the father that makes the son do it. It's the design of the father that makes the son submissive. Secondly, the reason for submission. The reason for submission in verse 23 is because God has ordained that in marriage, the husband is the head, which is a picture of Christ being the head of the church. Now, we can see in other places very clearly, and I want to make this clear, we can see from Galatians 3.28, that everyone in Christ is called a son or daughter of God. That in Christ now, there's no Jew or Gentile, there's no slave or free, there's no male or female. Everybody is one in, in Christ. In our standing before God, everyone is equal. We know that throughout the Bible, there are specific roles in the framework of society. God has designed the government for a specific purpose. He's designed the governing of his church in a specific way. He's designed the governing and leadership in the house as a particular way. But when the when the Bible says and when Paul specifically says that the husband is the head, he's not making a statement about competence. He's not making a statement about value. He's not making a statement about ability or talent. He's just making a statement about roles and function. And we know that you can have two relationships that are totally equal, and yet one lives in submission to the other. We know that from the Bible. What relationship do we see two beings totally equal, yet one being submissive to the other? In the Trinity. You see that Christ is equal to God. The Bible is clear about that. Yet by design, not by demand, he lives in submission underneath God. So it is possible to have a relationship of equality and yet somebody live in submission underneath that. So when we're talking about headship, we're talking about uh, direction. And you will notice uh, in verse twenty nine that the head is going to or the, the husband is going to nourish and he's going to cherish the body. We're going to get this picture of the body in just a moment. And so husbands, you're supposed to nourish. That means take care of all the internal components of your wife. This is going to take some doing. This is going to take some study. You have to know how she's built Internally, and then it's your role, it's your responsibility, it's a command to nourish that, to feed her internally. And you're supposed to cherish, that means to keep warm. You're supposed to protect her externally. 
So that's your role. You're you're taking care of all of her, her internal needs. You're you're cherishing and taking care of all of her external needs, just as Christ has done for us. But the picture here we're trying to get is of a body. And I think the best picture when we think of Christ as the head and, and then the body being the wife. I think the best picture I can think of is if you have this uh, strong, powerful athlete who's running maybe a hundred yard dash and you you see it and you notice that the head is perfectly still, perfect, perfectly focused on the finish line. And the body is just working like pistons, like a piece of machinery. And, and when you watch the person just Flowing down the track, you don't notice the head and then the body. It's one smooth movement. The head is offering direction. We're we're going in this way. We're not going to waver from this. And the body is just working perfectly underneath that direction as one smooth movement. But I think there are a couple other pictures that we could have. What happens if a head provides direction, but the body doesn't respond? What would you have with a head who said, let's go this way, and the body doesn't respond? You'd have paralysis. There are plenty of people whose brain tells their body to function in a certain way, but their bodies just don't move in that way. And I want to ask the wives here. In this relationship, is there a place you're causing paralysis? What if you have a head that says, let's move in this direction, and the body moves in a different direction? What would you have then? You'd have this sort of spastic, dysfunctional relationship, right? The head would be saying, arm, let's move over here. And the arm would go, no, I'm moving over here. And so you'd have this body doing something like this. And maybe that's representative of your relationship. You've got the head who's saying, we're trying to go this way. And the body's saying, well, I'm trying to go all these different ways. That's dysfunctional. Wives, is there a place in your relationship that you're causing dysfunction? What would happen if you had a body that had two heads? That's a monster. That's the two-headed monster that everybody's afraid of. And there might be some two-headed monsters here. So, husbands, I'm, I'm asking you to evaluate your leadership. Does your leadership represent your unqualified uncompromising interest in every internal and external aspect of your wife. Wives, I'm asking your of your evaluation of your response to this leadership. What what most closely resembles your relationship? This powerful runner? A relationship that's paralyzed or a relationship that's dysfunctional? Or a monster. Here's a, here's a question that I would have if I was a wife. What if I'm smarter than my husband? 
And now, right now, all the wives are going, okay, honey, listen up, wake up. This is the part you need to really hear. I mean, you've married somebody and they're just smarter than you are. That's all there is to it. Nobody would really even have any question about that. I I know a few couples like that. I would say this. uh, Wives, you shouldn't hesitate to give advice to your husband. There just shouldn't be any hesitation. If your hand puts itself on a hot coal, it is beneficial for the nerve ending in that hand to communicate back to the head. Let's go ahead and move ourselves here. That's what you would want the hand to say instead of just burn up. And so, wives, you should have no hesitation to say this direction, this course is burning us up. Let's move away from this direction. And husbands, you shouldn't hesitate to seek out and take the advice of your wife. Look, Nancy, in many areas, is a lot smarter than I am, and I'm not afraid to admit that. She's particularly more discerning than I am. And so we'll get into a situation and we'll have to sort of assess the situation. And now I've learned to say, you know what, if we differ, I'm probably going to just go with you. Because most of the time when I go ahead and take the lead, it's pretty much a disaster. So so I just learned over time that her discernment is most of the time better than mine, particularly in relationships. She just has a more discerning eye than I do. So I've deferred in those situations. You see what I've done? I've said, I'm going to paddle here. You steer. But we just can't both be steering at the same time. And look what happens if, if this is done, done well. When the wives are, are living in this kind of relationship and the husbands are living in this kind of relationship, the husband is going to take all of the responsibility. So if he says, honey, I think you're just brighter in this situation. We're going to go your way. He's owning all of the responsibility. So if it doesn't go well, he doesn't say, why in the world did we go your way? He says, no, that's the way I chose. I'm taking all of the responsibility. I may be putting you as the leader right now, but I'm going to take the burden of whether that turns out well or doesn't turn out well. I'm not going to ever say I just shouldn't have listened to you. That's not ever going to be said from the lips of a husband. That's passing. That's Genesis three. That's passing the responsibility off on somebody else when you have it. And, and wives, when submission takes place, I really wouldn't want you to think this way. Well, he won. You see what happens when that even becomes a thought? That means you're two different people. Sometimes he gets his way. Sometimes I get my way. Sometimes he wins. Sometimes she wins. That's not the case. You're one unit. You're winning Together, you're operating together because submission doesn't hide something. That's not the idea. Submission brings something to life. It shows something much greater. And that's my final point. It magnifies the picture of submission presents the value and worth of Christ. If I'm talking to a high school student and they ask me a question like this. What does it mean to have a relationship with God? I mean, I hear you use those terms, but what does that look like? 
what would it mean for me to enter into a relationship with God? How would I have that? Or if you're thinking about the church, how is it this this diverse group of people can get together and move in one direction? And I think you can give a lot of words to it, but I think it's better to give a picture. What does it look like to have the most important relationship you'll ever have in your lifetime? That's with Christ. What does that look like? And instead of explaining it, I can give you a picture. Wives, you're the picture. If there's any confusion on anybody's part of what it means to have a living relationship with God, I should just be able to pick out Nancy or pick out another spouse, a wife in this congregation, and say, it looks like that. That's what it looks like. It looks like Tammy. It looks like Kim. It looks like Pam. It looks like Linda. It looks like Lisa. That's what it looks like. And the world is dying for this. They're hopelessly lost trying to submit to their whims or the whims of the culture. And they want to say, well, what would it look like to live underneath Christ? And we have a great picture right before us. And it's wives. How you live in relationship to your husband is God's greatest display or one of them of what it looks like for somebody to live in relationship with him. Wives, if you're married and you have children, the single best picture that your children are ever going to have about what it looks like to submit themselves to Christ is by watching you. Men, we said this last week, the single best picture of what it looks like for Christ to love them is your responsibility. But it's the responsibility of the wives to show their children what it looks like to live underneath the mission of somebody else. So every time you speak about your husband, everywhere you go, every time you react to him, every word spoken about him, whether in private or public, it's meant to be a little picture The questions at Quincy's didn't end there. The tears eventually stopped. And there wasn't a question. It was just, I'll follow. Even when it didn't meet her happiness, even when it might not have looked like financial sense. Even when it wasn't what she wanted. And I cannot express to you how important that picture has been for me in my own relationship with God. Because there have been many times since that day that I've said, I don't want to go there 
God. That doesn't look like it makes any sense. I have no desire for that. That doesn't seem to add up financially. And I have these relation I have these wrestling matches with the Lord. And sometimes tears just slowly pour out of my eyes and eventually I have to say I'll follow. Wives, you have such an incredible opportunity. Probably more powerful than you could ever imagine. A a difficult one. But a chance to display to the whole world what it looks like to have a relationship with the living God. Let's pray. Lord, we come from all kinds of different backgrounds here. All kinds of different models that we've seen from our parents to the one that we're in right now to the media. And oh, how thankful we are for your word. That we don't have to go out and just have read a bunch of books. We don't have to go out and just explain something from our own vantage point. We have the word of God that has set in permanent for all time what it looks like for a man and woman to be married and their roles in that relationship. So we're grateful for your word. But I pray for each of us who struggle with this idea of submission, living underneath the rule of our parents, living underneath the rule of our boss, living underneath the rule of the government, that we would look to Christ. That we would not be grasping for equality or power. We would be grasping to be a servant. For every marriage here, now and every future marriage, Lord, may Your Word light the path. Thank You for the many gifts that You've given us. We're sometimes unaware of all things coming from Your hands. So, in this time of worship and our offering, it's a small reminder that all things belong to You. We pray that You would take these gifts And use them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.